This episode of Your Neighborhood Black Friends is brought to you by Kelly's Olympian on Southwest 4th in Washington. Learn more at kellysolympian.com and thank you, Kelly's. All right, this is our episode with Sarah Iannarone. Hey, neighbor. <laughs> You're a bitch. I got to read that. Why? So this is our 10th episode, and we had it with someone who has been an inspiration for both myself and Gregory McKelvey, former mayoral candidate for Portland, and now the executive director of the Street Trust, Damn it, Sarah Iannarone. It took you six months to endorse her, but sure, I guess inspiration is good. But yeah, it's a great interview. Love spending time with Sarah. Already starting the fight. Well, I'll say Sarah is a bridge builder. She somehow made sure that we stayed friends. And so I encourage you to listen to this great interview. She talks about politics, but you also hear about her amazing personal story. And make sure to find out what we'll be talking about for the hot take. So watch the whole thing. Very mysterious. Listen to the whole thing. Here we are on your neighborhood black friends, Cameron Witten, Gregory McKelvey, hello. and hello. <laughs> what I'm you're... starting over. I will shut up. I will speak. No, it's okay for you to say something, but it was like you said it so like low. It All was right. like okay, cool. All right. It's gonna sound right. weird on the podcast. Mm, okay. Right, yeah. Here we are again with your neighborhood black friends. Cameron Witten here with our co-star, Gregory McKelvey. Hello. <laughs> Much better. Hi. <laughs> Perky. And we are here with a special guest today, Sarah Ianarone. Sarah is the executive director of the Street Trust, which is a transportation justice movement here in Portland, Oregon. And she's also known, you've probably seen her name before, because in 2020, she ran and was in our general election for Portland mayor. We spent a lot of money so that you would know that name. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, I had a road using I taxpayer have, dollars. I still have my bumper sticker on. Of course Kat you do. I just took hers off. I was really upset, but... Sell out? Well, they're, they're meant to last for an election cycle. <laughs> <laughs> so but it was know, a beautiful bumper sticker. Like, y'all did oh a lot of super good graphic design. Like, timeless. The colors, the... God, everything was just... Everything. We kicked ass. Portland's a town that values good design, though. Like, you yeah. should know that if you're running for office in this town, right? <laughs> and like, this is a design town. I know. you got to say, I mean, you got to respect that. Yeah. yeah. And we tapped into the resources We even designed our coffee art, you know? I say we, but, and, well, for those who don't know, I, Sarah is my former boss. Um, hopefully, it's someday future boss. Uh, <laughs> but the, so this interview there's nobody is a I would rather. Yeah, this is my, this is my, actually my, uh, my job interview. Um, but the, <laughs> Uh, if the campaign wasn't enough. Question one, is the Treach Trust hiring? Uh, we oh, could okay, be, well. depending. We could but be. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I didn't get enough job at the campaign that now I'm above that level. But, uh, <laughs> but at some day. <laughs> above that level. What? There's I'm nothing just, not, above that level. No, I'm above <laughs> Public <non-profit>. service. <laughs> I'm, I'm above nonprofit that's not ed level there you go there <laughs> that's you what go. i think yeah there you good. go yeah in any case you know i think this town loves creativity yeah. mm. right we love innovation sometimes for innovation's sake and nothing more we love good design <laughs> we love a spot of color yeah yeah we love except we're on the skin <laughs> yeah this is true this is true but here we are remediating that with the podcast of the moment yeah you're the exception sarah you're our 
one white podcast guest. <laughs> we are we are Portland Monthly's top five podcasts. <laughs> Before we even started. Before we even released the episode, Portland Monthly made us top five podcasts. God so. bless them. White guilt is a powerful thing. <laughs> right? Yeah, this is ridiculous. I like, asked Kat the other day because uh, producer Chris told us uh, how many subscribers we have, which is like now upwards uh, over a thousand. And I, and I, yeah, so thank you everybody for subscribing. Um, Subscribe I asked now. Kat the other day, who thinks very highly of me, and said, <laughs> How many subscribers do you think we have? And she said, I don't know, seven. <laughs> Rude. She was I'm gonna dead stop serious. there because I just can't say something negative about she was Kat. Dead she was beautiful and a goddess. Yeah, I get Damn, that a lot. That hurts. Anyways, this is she a, might this not. Is but you. the way that the real reason that hurts is because she's a numbers person. She's a numbers person. <laughs> she thought about it too. She didn't even just like if you didn't pull that number it's out. It's not like she's like, like an she art. Really she's not a watercolor so, like, artist. She like, started counting them out. She's, Cameron's mom. She's like, well, I'm not one of them. Chris. <laughs> I finally got her to tweet an episode, the one that she was here for. So. <laughs> she hasn't subscribed yet, yeah. I don't think. I tweeted you all, but that my algorithms are off because I've been yeah. trying to go Twitter lean lately. I, I can't imagine. Well, Sarah, let's just start off and talk about your current role because you are newer in this current role. Yep. Executive director of the Street Trust, mm -hmm. formerly known as the Bicycle Transportation Alliance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a cool job. I mean, a lot of folks may know it as the Bicycle Transportation Alliance. Mm -hmm. That was its name for going on 25 years. Mm -hmm. wow. uh, the previous ED, um, a couple EDs ago, decided to do not just a brand change, but a mission change. Mm -hmm. You know, looking at the landscape and thinking maybe bicycles weren't the end-all, be-all. We had to think about some other things. And mm -hmm. so uh, they started looking more at complete streets model yeah. and thinking about different modes uh, that people use. And... Uh, for those of you who know me, know that I don't own a car. But even when you don't own a car, I know yeah, Cameron. Yeah, I hear about it all the fucking time. Um, <laughs> well, but, but, but Cameron, you know, I met Cameron riding bicycles a lot. We would see each other. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the only way we get around is on bicycles. Sometimes you take transit. Sometimes you're walking. Sometimes you are yeah. in a lift. Sometimes you take your magic carpet. And so um, <laughs> it's a multimodal world out there. And the Street Trust, uh, they brought me on in January um, to kind of revamp the organization. So I took mm -hmm. us through a really amazing strategic planning process. Um, I'm building Ooh, out Sarah our and those plans. I love a plan, <laughs> but I made it super tight, so I like have to deliver on it. Like every three, probably, like twenty new buttons. You pop them up. <laughs> They're each like two thousand words each. <laughs> it's actually not. I've learned my lessons, but um, yeah, no one ended up giving a shit that we had a plan for Portland. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next time, if you ever run for office, don't make plans. Just say just empty say, words. Just hashtag. Yeah, just say things. Yeah, yeah, just say things. They don't have to have anything behind. Them. Yeah. Yes, but for this one, it actually does. So it's tight. It's fun. I'm building out our political arm, which is our, our political action committee. Um, we're going to be hosting a big event um, on October 2nd down at the new Ankeny West Food Cart Shamesly Pod. Shamesly plug. Shamesly we're, yep, plug. we're going to have the Alice What's Awards. It it's Alice called Awards. the Alice Awards. I nominated you for an Alice Award. I don't know <laughs> if you're I think do I'm that. disqualified. <laughs> and the uh, winner is Sarah Anna <laughs> Oh my goodness. I was an honor just to be nominated. <laughs> she gonna... wasn't involved in the nomination process at all. I was going to nominate myself, but I didn't fit any of the categories. You literally so drove like, here from Lake Oswego. <laughs> I did, yeah. 
actually our target demographic. But, no, there's an, equity, you... there's an equity one that I was like, you know, I've brought some of these conversations you still to places. No, I, I, didn't <laughs> I, I, so I didn't nominate myself. I, I will I say, myself. though. I didn't do it, but I did nominate Sarah. You know, Cameron, from you and I understanding why getting on a bike is like liberating mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. efficient and yeah. cheap, right? Yeah. I've actually had to think about Greg as my target audience, mm -hmm. though. Because you and, and I, mom. we're drunk on that Kool-Aid, but yeah. he is not there yet. Please, you have an hour to convince Greg to ditch well, the car. Oh, shit, we had I've a year been, I've been spending my time, like, talking to him in meaningful ways about active transportation. Well, and I, I do think, did it start to stick? No. no to well, <laughs> totally. I mean, the importance of it, but also the reasons why it wasn't feasible for me in the moment were not just due to me not wanting to get on a bike, but also due to what's next to me, what the housing situations are, how close your grocery is, how close all these things are. Like there are places in Portland I could live where I would love to have a bike, but I can't afford to live in those places in Portland, right? Where you can easily, <laughs> put your smile away. And so, and, and but you know, like one of the conversations I think that like, I was super glad we had shout outs to uh, Royal Harris when mm -hmm. you asked him, we were doing like a series of meetings. He was in the office and we asked him, or you asked him specifically if you're, um, and it was like a, a time of year, you know, seasons are weird here in Portland now. It was where fall you never and really dark, know. wasn't it? But it was, it was like, but it was like not good weather, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I like that weather, but not good weather for most people. And she asked if I could make your uh, commute the exact same or less by bike. So you wouldn't have to pay for gas. You wouldn't have to like be in traffic, all these things. Would you do it? And he said, not if I have to go outside. And I was like, thank you. Um, because that like that exists also, like that mindset. And how do you get those people um, to, to be responsible in their transportation as well? And then the other thing that I think that we have to realize in this conversation is like, these are systems changes. Yeah. These are big in, in how big of a component housing is to mm -hmm. this as well, mm -hmm. which is why I think it's really innovative what you're doing at Street Chess. Um, like it's so much bigger than do you bike or do you not? It's what can you bike to versus what you can't? What can you haul on your bike versus what you can't? What do you need to haul on your bike? Mm. Um, you know, are there more efficient ways for the environment for you to be um, commuting, et cetera? Or even corner well, stores, right? We don't even yeah. think about it, but... Well, They're what I want to say, Sarah, yeah. if you want to get Greg to ride a bike, I a bike what today. you got to do is get Gucci to start manufacturing <laughs> bikes, get them with like rhinestones <laughs> on the <laughs> spokes. I rode, I rode a bike today. Bike. I rode a bike today. How many blocks? 15 minutes. I did a climb ride. Oh my. And Wait, Peloton is not a bike. I did a climb ride before my car. I did a climb ride before my car. Make sure to buy one for Roland Harris too. So it doesn't bike outside. Peloton is so not a bike. Again, I, I appreciate everything you just said, Greg, not yeah. dismissing it, but also dismissing it. Right. That we also, there's Sounds a pervasive like myth about uh, cyclists being, you know, rich white people living, you know, in the middle of downtown or whatever. But, the invisible cyclist. It's it's a real phenomena. And we do know that poor people, black, brown, indigenous folks, these are folks who actually are overrepresented in using bikes and other forms of low impact travel to get around. And we don't talk about designing transportation systems for them. Right. I totally didn't say that, but cool. Um, but no, the... no, 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 no. I'm not <laughs> saying that. No, I'm just saying that um, while we're, we need to target and focus on folks who are currently refusing it, I also think we just need to elevate and talk about folks who are using it and it's still not safe enough. And part of the problem that I think 
exist there is that that is true in yeah. writership, I think. I mean, y'all would know better than me, yeah. but is less true in advocacy. And I think that totally. same model exists of for power almost everything yeah. that exists for even racial oppression, where the people that are impacted by racism yeah. have less of a privilege to be able to advocate on yeah. behalf of themselves. And yeah. that's almost by design. Yeah. yeah. And that's why we changed our mission, really, to actually be very ecumenical about mode. I don't care what mode you use. Mm. I want a system. You right, can that's reach complete. Me by caravan. There you go. <laughs> I, I, but I want that to work for anybody who wants it to work for them when they want it to work for them. I mean, to me, that's choice. And that's when you feel truly free is when what you need is right there for you when you want and when you need it, right? And I really feel like more people understanding that it's actually very low stress and mm -hmm. fun when you don't have to own a car and operate it and try to move it through space and get stuck mm -hmm. in traffic. And if you wanted to do something else you could, then that should be available mm -hmm. to you too, right? Right. Yeah. I, You know, one criticism I think is like, oh, goddamn Sarah trying to get me on a bike when it's really the polluters and the oil manufacturers and stuff. And she's trying to put the personal responsibility on me because I know you and your house. You are probably the most personally less like carbon I, have, I live a very low carbon I might have a very low carbon you're like the good place guy you can watch the show it, I just cheap. it might be worse <laughs> growing so, radishes out of grey water no there's like buckets of water so like <laughs> um, so like the uh, whatever you know like I liked working at Sarah's house when I had to um, but you know Never, not everybody's going to become that, but also a lot of people would be like, I'm not going to become that because there's all these corporations, um, whether they be multinational or not, that are the real bad guys here. But it's not just about so good and bad. Yeah, and it's, it's not, not just, bad, yeah. and I don't even really like this <laughs> framing because again, there's so much more to how we build our urban environments than just like yeah. what mode of travel you choose. Mm. And, and what it's about, saying, it's not about shame. No, it's, it, it's yeah. about like joy. Like yeah. where's the goddamn joy for real? Yeah. Like, and I don't mean that in, in a, in like a, I'm trying to shame someone into sharing what I enjoy, but there's like a, there's a real beauty to living in a walkable neighborhood, whether you're in New Orleans or Manhattan or right. Copenhagen and being able to walk out your door, talk to your neighbors yeah. And be like, hey, Nettie, how you doing? And she yeah. hands you, like, uh, you know, a cold drink off the porch. You go two more, you know, three more, you know, buildings down, and it's a corner yeah. store. There's a laundry. And the crazy thing in Copenhagen, they don't even lock those damn bikes. And they'll yeah. say, oh, it's locked. But, like, no, like... If we had a Portland bike thief in Copenhagen, oh my God, they get like a hundred bikes. Well, they can put them on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I mean, and then think about like, okay, your babies are walking to school. Well, now you just saved a trip where you're not having to drive your babies to school. Like they can go, and, and they getting your love babies that. In the car is not fun. They, but kids love it. Like when I was oh five, God. I walked to school and I would like dilly dally, oh, and I would do like mm -hmm. stuff. Like that was. Fun. I, I love walking. Like that was fun. And then when I was like, I got my bikes and I would like take off. And my mom couldn't find me. Like I would go to the edge of town. Mm -hmm. And like we had one rule. Like when the street lights came on, That's you had to really you had to come home, right? And sometimes I'd be so far out, like it would be way dark when mm -hmm. I got home. That would be in big trouble because I would be like, well, I came home when the street lights went on, but I was really far. Because when you're on a bike and you're a kid. That's like a vehicle. Mm -hmm. You can go far. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so when all our kids having access to that, think of where they could go if they could just go wherever they wanted. I, no, yeah. Like they, and they were safe, and we knew they wouldn't get hit by a car. But they Culture will get hit changed. by a car. 
No, well, they don't have to get hit by a car because, you know, what has changed since maybe even when I was a kid to now? Mm. Like, we haven't created a built environment that thinks that kids should be out there going wherever they want. Yeah, like not even playing out in their yard, you know? There's so much fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, let, like, I think that when we think about the city, I want to think about this notion that this city is for kids, it's for exactly. people, it's for elders, it's for people uh, with limited abilities of various kinds, every kind, physical, you know, cognitive, emotional, like, so that all the vulnerable people are propped up by the city and not abused and brought down by the city, yeah. right? And if we start building cities like that, then we're winning because, you know, the ADA ramps are a perfect example. Like you put those in for people who are using a mobility device, but then who else loves that? Somebody pulling their groceries, a mom pushing a stroller, right? I broke my leg one time. All of a sudden I noticed every curb cut versus every non-curb cut in my neighborhood. And that's where you start to feel like, wow, a city that's easy mm-hmm. uplifts us all, right? And I don't know. I just well, want it to be better. Well, yeah. so this is my constant Trying Steps to make soapbox. Sarah palpable <laughs> for everybody. I'm sold on all this, right? Like I've been yeah, around. Obviously, here, they hire the right person. But I'm <laughs> trying. But what I'm trying to like. So how this all makes so much sense, right? How do I square it then with the fact that I think here, you know, not to spill too much data, but and across the country, we've seen even in the transportation packages um, from Secretary Buttigieg, etc., that. There is a um, desire to continue placing money in fossil fuel infrastructures, such as freeways. And I think an everyday voter who is stuck in traffic does think we should widen the freeways, especially if they drive to California and see seven lane free. I don't know what they have, but more than us. So how do I square that? Everything you were saying is makes sense. And I think an average listener would think what you're saying is makes mm. sense with the fact that that same average listener probably all, all also thinks we should widen the freeways. Have they been misinformed? Are they wrong? Are you wrong? Well, given we don't have Paul Rippey to come in and sing the induced demand song for us right, right. now, mm. I do like to talk into a podcast microphone as if the person listening to me on the other end is sitting in traffic, maybe on the 205, right, they, right, they, right by Sunnyside well Road, yeah. right? And so you think about this notion, first of all, we have to educate people about how systems work. Mm-hmm. We don't talk enough about systems change, I think, and structural mm. forces that shape how people's lives are. We've put over 40 years... Um, and even more in our country, we, we put too much emphasis on individualism as if every mm. individual choice is a game changer when mm. we know there are structural mm. and systemic and institutional factors that shape probably more of our day mm. than any of our single individual choices right. will, right? So transportation is no different. And then you have to stop thinking about the fact that you could decouple how we move around space Mm. versus where we stop moving, whether that's our workplace Mm. or our home or our parks and community Mm. centers. Like there's the places where we move and there's the places where we stop moving, right? Mm. And how are they connected? Well, we haven't thought about anti-displacement, so Mm. we've Mm -hmm. allowed suburbanization to drive, Mm. either because sprawl is a very inefficient Mm. but cheap land use. Um, we haven't thought carefully enough about making sure Will you that explain we explain sprawl. Sprawl. I mean, 
<laughs> I have trust Okay, I'm just going to pause right now. Google sprawl. Yeah, I feel like um, our listeners, they can it, it, it's it. A, it's a non, it's not a very... I didn't know that it was a huge issue. Sprawl before. is yeah. a huge issue. It's yeah. a climate issue, a urban development just issue, equity issue. It's a not thoughtful way of how we develop the land around us when we're building it out. So Texas. We're going to talk about Texas later. So instead of building up, we're building out. Not just up, but it's 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 rather thoughtless. It's just yeah. going for the next cheapest parcel you can find can to, I, can to extract value. Yeah. So well, it was like my first adult trip to Las Vegas, which I guess I shouldn't say first adult trip, but it was. And what was the difference between an adult <laughs> trip and not adult trip? <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a story for some other time. Okay. Statue of Limitations passed, That's for right? our Patreon subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, and technically I was 18 that first time too, but like my first time really as an independent grown person. And I was there because I was speaking to a high school. But anyways, I went to the strip and... I think many ways you and I were kindred spirits. We love cities and we love to wander and just, you know, be out there and gallivant. And I, you know, I think most people that go to Vegas, they're just on the strip. Mm. But I was like, you know, I'm taking, you know, path less travel. So I just go two blocks off. I don't know if either of y'all done that, but just going two blocks, two blocks off the strip. It's like a bomb is dropped. It is so weird where you see all these huge palaces and stuff being built, the Sphinx and the pyramids, whatever. And you go two blocks and you're like, there was a bomb dropped. There are no sidewalks. Buildings are shuttered. I was so pissed, Sarah. Like you would be so proud of me. What I did. (laughs) (laughs) She would know. Yeah. But she would be like, yes, I am the queen of urban rage. I found their urban planting center. And you said, and I took a bus. I took a bus. No, I went there. And I'll give Las Vegas one like commendation. I was able to pull a ticket, just like you know, at the the grocery store, you pull a little you know meal ticket. And within thirty minutes of me pulling that ticket, I was sitting one on one with the senior planner for the city of Las Vegas. See, I feel like Portland needs that level of customer service. <laughs> I'm do. not going to say that we and we don't have to yeah. go down that rabbit hole, but there are some yeah. cities that I've seen that they just take like the the citizen service. I don't want to call them yeah. customers because I hate when yeah. we talk about like, you know, our residents as customers, yeah. but like they take that seriously. I yeah. love that. That's yeah. a vibe. And, and so what I'll just say quickly about it was, and I, first thing I said to him was like, what's with all the sprawl? And he was like, what sprawl are you talking about? <laughs> what sprawl, yo? What sprawl, yo? He didn't like, know what sprawl You have was. no transportation. There are no sidewalks. The buildings are boarding, boarded up. And what I learned from talking to him was that half the city of Las Vegas is not even city. It's unincorporated. Yeah. And because of that, there's a lot of people who aren't even plugged into the water systems. They have to have their own sanitary system. They have to have their own you know, storage devices for their poop because yeah, they're not plugged tank. into the city. That is what sprawl is. When you aren't designing things to work together. And so now people are going to have less quality of life because it's not designed in a way that makes it sustainable. In the reverse end of sprawl that I've also learned from Sarah is that you're sprawling into something that the world needs. Um, Potentially. Green space, mm-hmm. farming, um, that yeah. kind of stuff as yeah. well. Um, so I learned so much and from But Sarah. cities are <laughs> amazing. I mean, if you're a person who loves cities, you can go, you can drop down in the center of just about any city and you mm-hmm. can feel it out. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter which one you are. Like I can go alone, I can go in the middle of the night, in the morning. Like you can cities have a they have a logic yeah. to me. Mm. And and a city that's a good city that takes care of its people does prop up the human experience yeah. as a What's one? To, 
well, Copenhagen's a perfect American example. American city, Seoul. Um, you know, I love. There's parts of Philly that I love. Okay. Uh, South Philly, I love. I actually think you know there are parts of there are good parts of a mm-hmm. lot of cities I've been in. I loved when I lived in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I loved the community. New Orleans is a perfect example. Oh, I mean, pre-Katrina, even yeah. more so because it was so eminently affordable. People had mm-hmm. the. I mean, when you pay when your uh, land tenure, you know, a lot of people were in their homes uh, mm-hmm. just by virtue of it being handed down over generations, and then. Um, the cost of living was so low there. You could create art. Yeah. Like you could you could work yeah. one day a week as a waiter for your flash money and then the rest of the time you could oh, spend imagine. creating art and music. Um, I loved, uh, you know, spending time in old like East Coast cities like Providence, just mm. where you have the oh. alleys and things mm. are like wild. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of good things in good cities. I have always thought Portland was the ideal city. It's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I wanted to relocate here and raise a family. It's such a beautifully planned city. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got here, I was like, oh my goodness, this place was made for me. And I didn't realize that was white supremacy I was feeling um, because well, the entire place felt like it was built for me when I got here. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, wait, it was. <laughs> Is this a good time to comment on the shirt that you brought into the podcast? Yeah, a hat tip to Ignorant Reflect for his uh, May God Have Mercy oh, I was on, on the Portland. phone with him it, before I got here. It says, may God have mercy on Portland, and they're praying hands on fire. This is a custom. I think I'm the only person who has this one because oh. I tweeted this, and Donovan was like, oh, my goodness, you should put that on a shirt. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you should put that on a shirt. And then he did. Wow. I've got a couple shirts like that. Twitter gets me good shirts when I have pity tweets. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Okay, so Sarah, yes. uh, we do have to talk about the person of Sarah. would love to learn more about your story. Where are you from? Who influenced you? How did you come to be who you are today? So I grew up in a great little city, Fulton, New York, mm. uh, Rust Belt City, back when there were actually jobs in manufacturing. Is that like West? Uh, no, north. north. So across Lake like Ontario. Rochester. Across Lake oh, Ontario. for A little, actually just east of Rochester. Okay. So a, right across yeah. uh, Lake Ontario from Toronto. Mm. Um, so you've got Buffalo, then you've got Rochester, then you've got Syracuse, and we are north on Lake Ontario. Mm. So in the winter, you get lake effect snow. There would be some winters where... What like is the, lake effect snow? Lake effect snow is when it gets the, the Great Lake... Um, freezes at the top and then big storms come in and they pull the water off the lake and then it dumps like sometimes you would get snow up to like the second story window on the house like in one night so lake effect snow meant we had blizzards and big big deep snow when I was a kid Ooh. so snow suits and playing out in the snow for hours are part of my upbringing my father was a factory worker for the few years that he lived with us of Nestle factory so when it would rain the town would smell like chocolate um, I walked everywhere rode my bike everywhere Maybe that's when I started doing that. I was an entrepreneur from a young age, so I would take all of the rocks I would find by the side of the road, I would paint them with interesting designs, and then I would put them in my wagon, and I would go door to door and sell them to my neighbors for like a quarter and 50 cents a piece. How much bank did you make? I don't know. I would always give my cash to my mom, and then she would write me a check for the World Wildlife Foundation. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Whoa. (laughs) So I've always been a nonprofit fundraiser, I guess. How? How were you so woke at like age six? I just loved pandas. I thought they were so cute and they were going to go extinct. (laughs) And they were going to go extinct. And I thought, well, that's not fair. So I I sent my money, my rock money to the wildlife. Speaking of good design. There you go. One of the best nonprofit designs, really. My best friends when I was a little kid were old men. (laughs) 
And I'm not, I'm actually not lying. Like really old men. Like I would go Wait, to, okay. like, so we need a content warning. Yeah. So, when I was like in like elementary Up and even earlier, I, I knew where all the retired, because I guess there were just like a lot of widowers on my mm-hmm. block. And I knew I would go visit their houses on a route. And like, I would sit and I would make them tell me stories from candy. the past and they would feed me. Oh, they would feed me. <laughs> Yeah. And like one oh, of them was <laughs> one of them was me. I'm glad this didn't come up in the marriage. <laughs> Sarah did say she had some hidden stories. This yeah. is what one of them that. had blown off one of his fingers with fireworks, so he had a bit of Wait, a firework. Wait, you blew up an old but they no, stayed my, he had blown it blown off. He blown okay. um, yeah. But he had he, these these dudes stayed my they like stayed my friend. They like sent me cards when I graduated from high school, mm-hmm. and even my grandpa like was one of my BFFs. Mm-hmm. Like everywhere I've gone and lived, like. When I lived in Charleston, one of my BFS was like this old sailor who ran mm-hmm. one of like the um, uh, one of the he would run the radio for like the races around the world, all the sailboats that would come in and out of Charleston, and I would go hang out. That's out why with you him. click so good with Bruce Broussard. Yeah, I mean, old dudes. <laughs> even it doesn't matter how cranky they are, how off their politics are. Like, I can just hang around mm-hmm. with them and tell stories. See, I'm like a another, World War II veteran inside. Another thing we have in common, like, I'm also really into daddies, so we're bonding oh. here. Yeah, <laughs> no, but, um, uh, yeah, someone rewind. insert. <laughs> Sorry, gay joke. Grandpas. But well, yeah. gay truth, really. Yeah, gay truth. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. I knew something changed when I had my kid. <laughs> no. hey, hey, hey. Dad bod. Dad bod. Sorry, you know, you're not that kind of daddy. I'm sorry. Anyway, so we went on a real years. so that went uh, a really okay. weird direction, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you <wanted that. laughs> So Sarah, what were we doing with your sex? You know, there were a lot of old men. <laughs> I just think they're cool BFFs. To New Orleans to here. How do we get there? Oh my goodness. It was so I was a I was a chef in my first career, so I had decided, partly my mom didn't cook for shit. Like her recipe, one of her crowning achievements was this soup that was like a block of cheddar cheese, <laughs> a can of veg all, which is a can of mixed vegetables, hmm. and like a quart of milk, and like a can of spam cubed. And she'd pour That's all that in a pan soup? and melt it down, and that would be soup. That <laughs> and I was like, a... like screw How this. even wet? <laughs> I don't, yeah. yeah, the cheese and the milk. It was just like Ooh. disgusting. Anyway, that was the extent of my mother's <laughs> cooking. That's good for your stomach. No. And so <laughs> I was just hungry. <laughs> I was hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. So I taught myself how to cook um, again at a very early age. Uh, and I would cook all the time. And then by the time when I was a junior in high school, I opened my own catering company. And I would I'd cater like a lot of the weddings in town wow. at like the, the, the Eagles Lodge. In and high like, school, you said? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So then I, when I was a senior in high school, I became the sous chef at the local country club because my wow. guidance counselor hmm. was a member. He used to play golf there. And they had brought in this chef, a pretty famous chef, like a world-class master chef, uh, whose wife had made him take the job at this country club because he'd had a heart attack and she wanted to get him out, out of the high stress like mm-hmm. city restaurants. So he came to this sleepy uh, country club and I ended up being a sous chef there. Another old guy who became one of my BFFs. Mm. Um, and he basically didn't have much to do because at a country club, you don't really have to worry about food costs or labor costs because it's just kind of like a blank check. So he spent like a couple of years just teaching me everything as like having a master chef instructor one-on-one. Then I went off to culinary school, ended up working in some cool restaurants uh, there. And then I moved to uh, 
become a chef for Mel Tillis in Branson, Missouri. Hmm. You guys probably don't even know who that is. Is anyone listening to this podcast old enough to know who Mel Tillis is? Any old men out there listening? Old men. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. You're just your DMs. Tillis. Like, anyway, he's a pretty big name in country music. And Charlie Pride and Wayne Newton and... Willie Nelson. I've heard of him. Yeah, they would all come through. They were his BFFs and we cook for them. But even working in the Ozarks, that was super weird. Talk about like that Vegas front of the house, back of the house. Branson is very similar. It was a boom mm. town. Uh, it was all service industry. But mm. we were in a labor shortage there. So even the labor market, you couldn't pay workers enough cash to mm. like show up to work. So you had to pay them and other things. And you had people who would walk like hours just to come to work. It was so bananas living in the Ozarks there. It was surreal. We could do a whole podcast just on Branson. Then we'll from save that. Yeah, save that. <laughs> uh, from there, I went to Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina, the low country. I love me some Charleston cooking. It's some of the best cuisine in the United States. Another mm. beautiful city, Charleston. Uh, Charleston to New Orleans. I had met a boy in the Navy. He was younger, though, and very, very cute. Half in his Oh, way. not interested. He was a no trumpet hairs, player. No he was a you. trumpet player in the Navy band, actually, oh, which so is a cool gig. Yeah, no. But he got to travel and like play with the Navy band. And at the end of the day, he wasn't that nice to me, but he oh, was cute and he was that. talented and he was moving to <laughs> New Orleans. And I was men, like, right? sounds great. <laughs> I love New nice. Orleans. Let's go. <laughs> so we moved to New Orleans and uh, that's where I left him and met my soon-to-be ex-husband. <laughs> uh, and then we moved. nice, right? <laughs> Nikki was cute. He's still nice. He's my baby daddy. Okay, good. And then he hates when I say that, but I'm sure he's not listening to this podcast. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Greg said to send it to him. Uh, and then uh, the rest is history. I've been here 20 years and more. 98, I got here. Wonderful. So you mentioned that you have some hidden stories. Oh. You told me one that was really juicy right before we got on. So I don't know if you want to. I can't oh, remember. I wasn't around for I'm it. not what sure which one. Bang, bang. You shot someone? I did get caught in a shootout once in Charleston. What? Wait, what? <laughs> that's okay, damn. And that's a really long story. I don't want to go into it because it's so circuitous. But yeah, I got stuck in a... I ended up peeing my pants. Have you ever peed your pants because you were scared? I peed my pants because I did not want to leave the movie theater when we were watching Titanic when I was seven years old. Yeah, no, I'm I had not to... I've peed my pants. Yeah, I was caught in a shootout and I had to skid off my bicycle. I was like, I've ridden a bicycle everywhere I live even when it's stupid. And like, I got caught in the shootout with these cars chasing each other. And so I dove off my bike, like under this pick truck in front of the post office and I was so scared that I peed my pants so I had to ride my bike home the whole rest of the way after the shootout was oh, over. Oh no, you're like, like a regular went, John Wick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's chef's pants. So it's like checkered yeah. chef's pants I probably had on. So uh, but you're talking story? about my one about the mafia when yes, I accidentally... So this is one that I don't, I don't ever get to tell. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Your neighbor black friend's exclusive. As your future employee, am I going to approve of this story? <laughs> I I think don't so. Give a damn. I mean, okay, right. I don't think <laughs> it's it, I mean, off season, whatever. <laughs> I mean, okay. okay, so if you're working for the mafia and you don't know that they're the mafia, are you still guilty for working? No, of working absolutely. for the mafia. I romanticize the mafia, even though the mafia was really bad in a lot of ways. People are like, oh yeah, Al Capone. Woo. No, no, so a lot of people don't know that in New England, the head of the New England syndicate is yep, not in Boston; banks. it's in Providence. Right? Oh, I thought it was in uh, Charleston. I don't know. I saw a movie once with Ben Affleck. No, but so it's in it's in Providence, really, is, was the center. And there was hmm. a lot of corruption. Google buddy, Cianci, you'll know he was indicted for, he was the mayor. He was indicted. What's his name? But Cianci. C-I-A-N-C-I, buddy Cianci. 
So in, in Providence, though, the Mollicone family was pretty, I guess, notorious. Joe Mollicone was on the lam from the FBI for the SNL scandal. This mm. is probably before you two are even born. I sound really, really <laughs> old. But, um, and I was working for Tony and Geraldine Mollicone at this little cafe on Atwell's Avenue. Again, Atwell's Avenue being kind of the center of Italian activity in Providence. And um, I didn't realize because I was just the baker. You know, I'd make cookies and make sandwiches and whatever. But the guy running the cash register, I mean, none of this really clicked for me, but this was their business. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, do, have you watched The Sopranos? You know, the Bada Bang? How, like Tony Soprano. One season. Yeah, so, mm, Tony, so, so Tony owns a bar, right? So he's yeah. like the big head of the mm -hmm. mafia family, but he owns this bar where he hangs out. It's a racket. Well, well, yeah, but I mean, the bar is just kind of a place. Well, this little shop on Atwell's Avenue that was a cafe, like, I guess maybe just being like that naive girl from upstate New York and like and none of it penciled for me that I didn't figure out that like all of like the old vintage black cars that would pull up after every afternoon mm. and all like the old dudes, not the kind that I and would like, hang hey, out with, but different old dudes. And you're like, I don't they would have, they, they would have espresso <laughs> and cannoli outside and sit there the whole afternoon. They didn't lock the doors or windows at night. The guy who ran the cash register was this big muscly kind of guy and people would come to get the sandwiches and they would big like big bags that they would exchange for the sandwiches <gasps> and you would put them under there this and I, none of this computed to me that this was How going on I was like, my goodness, nineteen twenty. Oh, this like is this wow. was when I had United just for Portland Mailer. This is like, <laughs> but the whole point supports the mobster. <laughs> we should have known with a last name like Yana Rauni and Tiva Queen that she oh, would yeah. be involved. Maybe we have questions name. about yeah. her cafe and what kind of operation was she running? Oh. Yeah. There were a lot of drugs happening in Mount Scarlita, so yeah. <laughs> it was called Methlehem, people. So I mean, it was just a really interesting time because. I didn't know until after I had left that job and moved on to another job that then all this stuff came out in the papers and I was like oh I used to work for them mm. it's a good thing I was like a good worker and I Were didn't they nice? cause any trouble Geraldine the nicest lady mm. I, I, again think Carmela Soprano right like you just yeah. so I mean but it's just little things like that working in food service if you know anybody who's been in the food service business for a long time that kind of stuff just comes <laughs> across your you just end up working for the mafia no big deal <laughs> just happens you don't know um, you so don't know that they're mafia. Let's get to the juicy, juicy stuff. That wasn't talk. juicy. Well, let's talk shame, about uh, Greg. Shame. Let's talk about the mafia here in Portland. And, uh, <laughs> the political mafia. The, yeah, the political mafia. <laughs> oh gosh, where do we I, I start? Got a, I got a rundown of topics for you. One. Okay. This is a personal question, so sorry, um, but it hit me today when I was reading articles about. Um, the current mayor is going back on his vaccine mandate for city employees, specifically just for the police. And I was like, fuck, man, could have had Sarah. Um, <laughs> also, today happened, we have the, uh, we were going to stop all cooperation with Texas because of their abortion ban. We, he has gone back on that now because he said he wasn't ready to actually do it. And I'm just like, shit, could have had Sarah. And so, like, I don't know. Is my heart broken more than yours? Like, is like, how often do you think, like, fuck, this place could have been not shitty? Hmm. Well, just when I was at the bank on the way in, the most they, articulate yeah. question I could. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, it took a little bit of like self care to not allow it to upset me with every stupid thing that Ted Wheeler does that would end up in the news because I did start to think like, why would people think that I would be worse than that? Like, well, I a think lot of people didn't. 
but I mean, I just didn't even understand why certain groups Anybody were would. like, wh- well, why would certain groups, like for instance, say the people who form the super PAC, you You're know, right. with some of the labor organizations or even some of the business owners, like, why did you think that I would not take care of you too? Right. Like, why did you think that I wouldn't be good for you, too? I just really how could wa- I be worse than that? Yeah. Like, how could mm-hmm. I be worse for like our overall well-being? Like, I do. I have a really nuanced and deep understanding, not just of cities, but of Portland history. Yeah. You know, and I really know this town yeah. and I know that building. And so what wasn't I communicating well enough that you didn't understand that I got you and I saw you. Yeah. Right. Well, one thing that I'll say Misogyny. definitely but, exactly. And yeah. not related to your platform or what you stand for. But, you know, I ran for where we have so much in common. We, we have both so ran much in common. Mayor and we both ran for office in 2020. We're basically sisters. And when I ran for mayor in 2012, like- um, Eileen Brady, she was considered the top candidate mm-hmm. and there was that precipitous fall from grace and it was just attack after attack and neither Jefferson who literally was like just punching people left and right or Charlie who did not live in did the you goddamn just say state literally? yeah <laughs> literally which I'd be like fake metaphor metaphorically real but literally false but literally <laughs> he did you punch more than one person um and he was known for punching people and charlie hales wasn't living in the state but eileen brady got most of the hate and her political career was destroyed so i think about what happened with you and what greg said it's like we see it happen i i get worried for women who run for mayor of portland because i don't think they're going to get a fair shake but yeah but i mean why did you in I mean, I wonder if it's different when women run against other women, too. I, mm. I don't know. I also think there's something... There's a lot more to it, though. I mean, misogyny is a factor. Mm. I think a lot of what came on me was layers upon layers of different things. Mm. Some of the stupid mistakes I made. I mean, I shouldn't. maybe I shouldn't have used the F word to tell off Ted. Probably should not. Um, but I also, you know, to be honest... <laughs> but really, people want someone that's fucking real. I mean, in that moment, too, I really we're, did think that... Por- I did think that Florida. Portland would be there for me. You know, mm. this is the town that's that spawned Portlandia and Sam Adams used to be an actor on that show. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, the real Portland actually does want its mayor to drop an F bomb. Like mm-hmm. the, I the fake Portland doesn't it, only fake Portland likes Ted Wheeler. Like real Portland yeah. doesn't like Ted Wheeler. Isn't it hard because Portland is changing. Like when I moved here, you know, 12 years ago, the demographics were different. How yeah. So? I think it's changing, but people it's, who are moving here, the in migration is changing the political landscape. To be of Portland. more moderate. Not moderate, but I do think passive aggressive more, more and more that Pete professional and less professional. Uh, less uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, or like, less who was that iconic who classic. Also ran for Mayor Piper it was just like okay, oh, yeah, but Piper was, was not qualified and was a mess. Exactly, but got a lot of attention because they you know presented Nike. in that professional progressive way. So back to your original question though, Greg, because I think it's a good one: is when are Thank we you. sad that Ted is mayor the most? I was saying to Cameron before before you came back and we started taping, like the situation with redirecting the Proud Boys to Park Rose. Mm, right. For me, I was like sitting on my hands and crawling out of my skin because I just, I would never, ever, 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 never, ever do that. Like I can't even fathom why that would become an option um, or why you no, would do I, that. I mean, can, can I read this to you and just get your reaction? So on August 22nd, the day after, with strategic planning and oversight, the Portland Police Bureau and I mitigated confrontation between the two events and minimized the impact of the weekend's events to Portlanders. Violence was contained to the groups of people who chose to engage in violence toward each other. The community at large was not harmed and the broader public was protected 
property damage was minimal. That was on August 22nd. On September 8th, he said, that strategy was not the right strategy. I think we can all acknowledge that. Like, you had all the information the next day, defended it, and now two weeks later, you say that was the wrong strategy, and we're supposed to hand wave that away, like... And then also hand wave away the fact that maybe you should have been prepared for this because it's been going on for five years in our yeah, city. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing it over it, and over the again. The least you could do is steal your plans. Shit. That, I kind of <laughs> wish you would. Like, I want to, I mean, I, I give them a free pass. Please take them right. and use them. Um, but the other thing that it makes me sad about is there were so many people for whom this was the first time they ever got involved in politics. I can't tell you how many, and I didn't, I guess I didn't realize it at the time. I was just kind of swept up in it. But when I go look at like how many other contributions certain candidates get, like when they're Mm -hmm, running a major campaign, it's several hundred Mm -hmm. and I had thousands Uh, and I didn't realize what that meant was we were reaching a whole new set of people who hadn't been involved in politics. Portland's Bernie. Well, it wasn't even that I was Bernie. It's just that I was upbeat and optimistic. And I think that I was speaking to something that people believed they wanted reflected in their city. Mm. Um, Even wider than Bernie. Because I think Bernie speaks to a pretty uh, discreet set of the left. But I think think I reached Bernie voters. I reached some Warren voters. I reached some Klobuchar and even some Buttigieg Mm -hmm. voters for different reasons, Mm -hmm. right? But it was all just like about the good place that we wanted to come Mm -hmm. together and make. And, And... the disappointment from some of those folks who feel really let down by the outcome because they believed that like a mo- there was a moral valence to like the public financing and that we wouldn't mm-hmm. be trounced by big money. I think that was a little harder maybe for some of them to take than for me. Does that make sense? I mean, uh, it's hard when you're new and you want to, and I remember when I was in Occupy, you want to have faith that this is the moment everything's going to change, but we've been in it for so long. And yeah, you're for just folks a, who don't know, this was not lot. the first time we had public finance elections. And when folks first started running, like folks like Chris Smith, folks like Amanda Fritz, they didn't win their elections when they no. ran off of public and, financing. And, and the left loses a lot. And yeah, yeah, we, we lose we've a lot. taken a lot of hits and like... I don't know, like, I think we talked about this, I think, in our first episode of the the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. And uh, I think we all believe that, but not on its own, right? Mm. It doesn't naturally bend towards that. And it takes a lot of people taking L's, and some of those people are never going to see the victory, right? Yeah, there's so many L's. um, But I think that, fuck, I mean, it. It's sad for me because that would have been such a monumental shift, not just for this city, but I think for the country. And it was so damn close. Do you like, like, you know, if you lose a game, a basketball game by five points, right? You can look back. Like if you lose a basketball game by 50 points, you're like, that team just kicked our ass, right? You lose a basketball game by five points, you can look back and be like, well, you should have made that three. You should have made a free throw. You shouldn't have, you should have took that shot. You should have passed up that shot. Like, is that how you look at it? Or do you look at it like, um, you know, on that day, that was the better man. And then next day it might not be that way. You know, like there's seven game series in the NBA where people, I know Cameron loves talking sports ball, but but, uh, I mean, but no, I mean, I do and I don't, because what I'm saying is, that one, you know how when they say who won that game, the refs? 
Like in that game, like mm. the person who shaped the outcome of our election was nothing about me. I got up every morning and everyone on my team got up every morning. And we put in a thousand percent day in and day out for harder. months. We, we couldn't have worked, worked harder. harder. Every choice that we made, we tried to make our best. Um, we tried to do our best. Not we showed we up a hundred. Oh, of course, but everybody makes and mistakes. We from them. Yeah, and you learn and you improve mm-hmm. and you work hard and, and you have integrity. We made less mistakes than the other side. Yeah, and we were there. We showed up. We, were, we had integrity. We brought grit. I mean, we brought a love. We brought love and joy. And it was fun. It, it was an amazing opportunity. But, you know, when the deck is stacked against you, I mean, we can't control the fact that the auditor let Ted get away with writing himself that check. We just couldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, pre- I mean, you can't, pre- that's like mm-hmm. one variable that can mm-hmm. change the trajectory a of history. A million dollar super PAC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, out we, of nowhere. I mean, like those are the things. In days. Those are things that people spend months to form. I mean, so, uh, you know, what can you do? I think the greater lesson is what you do now. Well, so that's my next question. I mean, what, what can you do uh, if we had this super powerful machine, great candidate, brilliant, um, a great campaign, um, maxed out our funds. Uh, if I was a Portlander, I could say, well, shit, if that can't even win, then, like, what hope do I have for another city council race for whoever I might support or for another? I've literally seen people post, I, you know, gave to Sarah for the first time, and I'm done with electoral politics now because I realized that even though my $50 mattered more than it ever would, it... I'm not gonna be. I, I'm not gonna win against a million dollar super PAC. Mm. I mean, but it's all million dollar super PACs. The fossil fuel so industry, big pharma. So we just keep fighting until we get the wins. No, I think you can't make it about winning or losing. Mm. Look at how we mm. look at how our voices or listen. Reminds me of Jules Boycott. I mean, listen to how our voices lit up when we talked about the joy of what we built. Listen to how our voices well, talk about it. Please talk about it because y'all just went into like complain mode. I Tell mean, us the joys. But, but like that's the whole thing. I mean, when you talk about, when I talk about that team firing yeah. all cylinders, when we talk about the, the inspiration and the tactical optimism and just bringing community together, mm-hmm. even tamp out hate, like fun, mm-hmm. conviviality, yeah. um, bringing people together around something that we're building toward a future. There wasn't a lot of no in that campaign. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of let's do this, mm-hmm. let's do that. Let's try this. Let's Except try that. There was that. a lot of no Ted Wheeler. <laughs> but even after a while, that wasn't even me. Like that was a chorus that was out there. But I was really focused on, you know, this is yeah. our Portland. Let's own it. Let's make it what it needs to be. It can be just. It can be sustainable. And then we can go back to actually being a model that other cities want to emulate, you know, right. in, with confidence. Uh, but just bring that same. I mean, you're doing it, Cameron, in, in your organizing work. Greg, you do it in your organizing work. It's a method. It's yeah. not an outcome. It's the how you do things. Tell right? us about the joy from the campaign, please. Heat praise upon me. Oh my gosh! No, yes, you had an amazing <laughs> campaign manager. I'm sorry, I was yes, supposed to say that phenomenal. already. No, no, I hear he has amazing director, shoes. He's snappy dresser. Oh. <laughs> his wife is beautiful. Is, He's yeah. got beautiful a, mom. A great. His like mom's lovely. His mm-hmm. dog is cute as hell. Yeah, um, his kids are cute. Yeah, great guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Greg brings like a great deal of a passion. Great hair. You can comment on his hair. Uh, passion. <laughs> you know when you have when you're able to build people, bring people together in a moment. You did this with the Black Resiliency Fund, I think, Cameron. When you see a moment that mm-hmm. is so special that you can bring people 
together, facing in the same direction and allow that moment to be a platform. It's the collective energy of the people mm -hmm. that grows it to something beyond what you could have ever mm -hmm. imagined. And to me, that never comes from saying no to things. Mm -hmm. That comes from saying, oh my goodness, yes, we can, right? And to me, joy isn't just straight up happiness. It's the truthfulness of that moment. Mm -hmm. It's the integrity of that moment. It's allowing everybody to be their best selves in that moment. It, sometimes it's even like toddlers breaking down on the floor and crying in that moment, right? But it's, it's real, it's authentic, it's energetic, and everybody is so much more than they would have been if that moment had never happened, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that leaves us better off in the end anyway, mm -hmm. um, win or lose, you still get to take that away. And I'm carrying that forward into my work on transportation now and into other things that I do. We all so what do you think your legacy is from the last you know, two years? I over? hear I make a good biscuit. No, but from your campaign. I mean, we had a nice website. There was a no, podcast. I, wanna, no, okay, I can we'll answer <laughs> this. <laughs> you definitely blaze the trail for future candidates, especially if you run again. If you not, if you don't, doesn't matter. But for other doesn't candidates matter. to be using the campaign, uh, you know, voter owned election system to be running grassroots campaign, I, I do think that. And you, you did a podcast. You, you, you. Sh it was such a transparent movement, and there were so many folks involved. These are folks who are going to be involved in future, you know, grassroots, progressive campaigns. Oh, my God, yeah. Like uh, Bernie. Like, I, I know you kind of dismissed me and deflected me when I said you're like Portland's Bernie, but you are in many ways like Portland's Bernie. I mean, and I do see that impact happening people, for a long time. People from the campaign have all branched out and done amazing things, yeah. too. I mean, Beatrix just got a d job at Unite Oregon. I don't know if I ever told you that. But, um, and, and, like, uh, pe people from the campaign that, you know, earn their way have you know, learned so much and will sprout and, you know, maybe those people become candidates of the future. Mm -hmm. And also I think what we showed, um, not to answer your question for you, but what we showed is that, um, you can be yourself, even if sometimes that looks like being yourself in a way that ends up to bite you in the ass, like saying fuck Ted Wheeler or something like that. And, and who can ever say if that really had a voter's impact, but the, but you can be yourself like in a podcast and not be scripted and, and, and connect with your voters and actually compete. That hasn't really happened in Yeah, Portland. I'd love to see more people embrace that and just be real because I think that people are really tired of their politicians feeling canned. The closest we yeah. got to that, I think, in Portland was Chloe's 2016 race, but mm -hmm. she didn't have... Um, and, you know, jo Joanne had a whole movement behind her, so I don't think it's quite the same not to take anything away from her, but it, it's less of a personal connection, more feeling like a movement thing. Yeah. Chloe, um, I think there was that, you know, she started with a Facebook group, yeah. but she didn't have the same technological tools that you had, whether yeah. that be being able to have a podcast yeah. or open and accountable elections yeah. and stuff. And so like that, I think she's more the AOC of Portland than the Bernie, not... You know, and, and I say that specifically because, you know, we tried to get her to do this more. But, like, you know, AOC will be on Instagram cooking mm -hmm. and shit like that. And, mm -hmm. it, like, people fucking love it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people fucking hate it. But she wins. Um, you know, like, that connection and feeling like you know the person. And when I was in political science school and stuff, people said, you know, most people often vote for the person that they want to get a beer with um, the most. Now, Sarah didn't drink during the campaign. Um, but um, That's why she lost. So, yeah, so, yeah they want to get I a kombucha I with. 
cut out most. day drinking all day. <laughs> Come on. Pick, I pick, your, pick, your, pick your beer date. <laughs> Ted or Sarah, right? And so like well, I mean, according to be... the news lately, I mean, just can we pause for a moment? How is he getting all these dates during COVID? Like, I have to find how do, you meet, how do you meet people during he's COVID? Cute. I, think I really cute. need Ted Wheeler's dating tips. On I think he's been the last four no, years of taking away service. that cuteness. I think rich yeah. people have service because I've <laughs> known some rich people that have services. So it's like a dating app, but like you yeah, pay them stories. thousands of dollars. Can't talk about it. Okay, but you pay them thousands of dollars and they find you somebody and like set you all up. And then, like, yeah, I think that's probably what he's oh, doing. Man. But. Anyway, so back to your thing though. I mean, because we were talking serious politics, not dating, but. Same thing. I mean, kind of. Ew. <laughs> Not really. But, you know, I think, I think one of the things, you know, t- for folks to take away, too, is empowerment. Right? I'm a nobody. I don't know nothing. I ain't got nothing. I, I just work for the mafia, of, you, know. you know. But I didn't even know it. You know. But you're a person I, you could run into on the street. But I love what I love. And what I love is cities. I love good cities. I love Portland. I love my neighbors. I love coming together with people to work on projects. And, like, it really is me. Like, you're not going to find someone who can talk more, like, about, like, what would make Portland good. Like, let's yeah. just do this. Right. And I would have pulled up my sleeves and done it, right? And so, like, I might have sucked at a lot of other things, but I would have been really good at that. And I think I actually believe it, but not a lot of, not enough people. We needed 20,000 more people to believe that I would have been really yeah. good at that. Well, I'm going to ask you a series <laughs> of three questions to close us out. Okay. Um, Cameron, feel free to jump in. Uh, two of them, well, let's go first. What is the future of Street Trust? What are you trying to accomplish with Street Trust right now? I'm building up our C4 arm, which is our political action committee. I'm trying to build up a power block for transportation, not unlike the environmental movement has had. What's the angle? uh, To actually be able to shape policy so that the investments are going in the right direction. Mm. Um, I don't want it to be at the street user level, the individual level, feeling shame or lack of choices or, oh my goodness, I can't get TriMet today. Mm. My life sucks. I want the resources from the highest level going in the right directions to serve the people who need it most. And you do that with political power. Mm -hmm. That's basically it. You only get to shape how resources are spent Mm -hmm. if you have the power. So I want to build political power for people in that transportation realm without diluting it into other realms. I think we've allowed so many things to become, ah, for lack of a better word, so intersectional. Yeah, You know what I mean? That it tends to dilute things sometimes. And I really want to say transportation still matters. Yeah, like So let's do it for transportation the same way as we do it for housing, the same way we can do it for trees and other things. Reminds like, me of a time that someone made my racial justice organization write something for addiction services. <laughs> well, exactly. Like, yeah. I just stay in your lane, for lack of a better word, but like, it's okay to do that. Um, so what was this? That. What was the <laughs> second question? Second question is what is next so for um, Sarah, the person, and I will ask it in a way our listeners would like me to ask. Um, you ran for mayor in 2016. What was your vote total? 16 percent in that primary? A 12. 12 percent. Okay. Yeah. 2020, you get 44 percent, right? 40 percent. 41. Ted got 41 percent. Okay, mm-hmm. 16. I'm not a math major, but 16. Then 41. You would think next we're looking at like what 60, 70 percent on that tra- trajectory. 
Um, so is that what's next for Sarah? <laughs> if we did a line graph here, is that? Uh, I mean, after this, don't they make me queen? Want to know. What? <laughs> Do I have to even run now? Yeah. For, no, I mean, if you're you drawing a line, you have one more to go. Sixteen. Oh, okay. Forty-one. <laughs> then you'll get in the seventies. Then after a hundred, you get to be. Let's bring in Cat. She's the number. Yeah, person. I mean, I maybe. I think that I think that if I can stand this trajectory, I could just sit by the Vera Cat statue you, on the Esplanade. Okay. <laughs> are you ruling out future political? I mean, people were fans of you, right? And uh, me personally, I would be incredibly inspired by any future run of yours um, because out of all the people I've worked for and talked to, you have the skill set and the absolute passion like for this city that I don't think can be really matched in this city. Um, so I'm, I, and I say that as one of your many potential you know, voters, would you, you live in Lake Oswego? The fuck up. Sisters. It's not I, a podcast episode without digging I, I will, living in Lake Oswego. I will, I will, I, but I do want I sidewalks in a neighborhood near you. You're mayor live, of Lake Oswego, Sarah. No, Think I will tell you this. <laughs> I, I will leak something that will come back to bite me. Um, I oh lived at my sister's house for two months in 2016 to vote for Sarah. Um, no one can see oh those air God. quotes. <laughs> well, now they can. God damn it. Um, so damn, you sound like Charlie Hills right now. <laughs> I, was at, I was at my sister's house a lot. I was taking care of her kids. So are, <laughs> is there a political future ahead of you? Are you not thinking about it right now? Does it depend on what happens? Like, you know, obviously you don't want to be a perennial candidate, but your trajectory is clearly on the upswing. So how do we square that? I'm really focused on my work at the Street Trust right now, and I'm enjoying it. That's what I would tell you to say, too. I know. <laughs> such a poly- Weren't you just saying that she's not scripted? That was such a scripted No, I really answer. am. I mean, because no, I'm super that. juiced about my new strategic plan. <laughs> yeah. I built a whole new it's, staff. It's built for I've you. got, it's a beautiful, I mean, we've got, it's, oh, man, it's just humming right along. I your staff. Oh, they're fantastic. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, he thinks, <laughs> yeah, I, I, oh, don't even get me started. I told her. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. You can okay, email us. I'm not embarrassed. Info I at the street trust the website. There are some hotties working at the street trust. Stop it. Oh, my God. She's the boss. You cannot do that. Okay. She didn't I, say it. I said Answer it. the question. <laughs> God damn it. Anyway, my staff is lovely in every way. I absolutely yeah, so adore they them. Take They're over ambitious. In your absence, um, you know, you I will say this. I am less. Um, I got beat up pretty hard. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like. Are you kind of Teflon now, though? Well, I think. I look at like cities you like. You try bu- running for office, Greg. I damn. look at cities like Buffalo where they're. Uh, a poised to elect a black woman socialist mayor who's a nurse, uh, not particularly polished at all, just a woman of the people who can, who's got some really strong ideas and plans. And I, and I long for the days of Portland being able to have that be possible. Um, and I wonder if it is possible here. So I would put my energy potentially behind really good candidates too if we had some people like that emerging but in the absence of say like buffalo where they have the bills and the sabers and uh the blue jays and the raptors and okay it's stop politics are our sport well but politics <laughs> is a bit of a sport here right and so i don't know if i'm if, if i'm in athletic shape here like uh you ride a bike for, every day for, yeah. for portland politics it's yeah. it's a lot yeah it's politics all day every day here yeah it's just a lot of politics, and I don't know if, I, if I'm in that headspace, but we'll see. Uh, opportunities come up, and if I need to take my will, but I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now. But final, final question. Okay. So 
Sarah, one of the defining messages of your campaign was about tactical optimism. Mm -hmm. And so your final message for us here today, what is your message of tactical optimism? Damn it. Well, I use it like almost every time I'm feeling down, right? That's propriety. It's... Copyrighted by the campaign. And I'll tell you, I've actually had people question me on this. Like, do you really believe this? Like, in this moment, right, tactical optimism is a tool. You don't have to have it all the time. Kind of like a vegetable peeler, right? Like, <laughs> you don't use it every single time you're in the kitchen. But when you need it, you really need it. And tactical optimism works for me when I'm just feeling like, screw this, we are never going to make it out of this climate crisis, or screw this, we're never going to make it out of this uh, housing crisis, or screw this, we're never going to make it, you know, out of this or that, or screw this, we're never going to survive, Ted Wheeler. Like, to me, tactical optimism is like, no, in this moment, you will not choose despair, you will not choose um, the default, which is checking out, you will stay engaged, and you will do your best and you will work hard with an eye that better things are possible because it's just as likely that better things are possible that they're not. And so if you lean into the positive and you lean into the optimism, it can buoy you out of that moment. And then you're free to go back and continue the work. And it's not even a mental health tool, although some people might think it would be. It's really a practical decision-making tool in a moment of choosing the positive over the negative, the better outcome over the worse, and just the possibility that things can get better if we all work together. And if we don't, then they're never going to get better. So why not at least choose to work together to make them better? Because even things will be better by coming together just to even try it, even if things keep sucking. So, yeah, come together to make things better, people. That's my mayor. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> this plug, was <laughs> plug your stuff. Plug your stuff. Where well, do come, people find you? www.thestreettrust.org is where you can find me. Um, you can come to our Alice Awards on October 2nd. We'll be down at the Ankeny West uh, Food Cart uh, Pod. They need our support down there. Uh, that's a project with Friends of the Green Loop. We need to support those uh, displaced food cart owners where the, they used to operate where the new Ritz-Carlton is now. Uh, so let's show them some love and come out and celebrate a block party in the streets. I, I think uh, we're looking pretty good to be on the downside of this Delta wave, at least to be having some outdoor gatherings in October. So uh, looking forward to seeing people masked people up. Find you? On this podcast, apparently. All right. <laughs> Sarah, this was such a rich interview. I, we learned so much about you that I never would have imagined. I can't believe I knew you for years and didn't know these mafia yeah. stories. And just There's so, so you, much more where that came from. I didn't from. know you like old men, but... Well. Right? So just so you know, I am expecting a painted rock for Christmas. So. Oh, okay. List. So you want me to go back? No biscuits, not just rocks. All right, guys. Well, I'll hey, congrats the on the podcast. Keep it up. It's fun. Thank you. Thank you. you. Hey, neighbors, welcome back. This was our episode with mayor of my heart, Sarah Ayanarone. Hey, Greg. Could have been mayor, should have been mayor. Could, should have, will be mayor. <laughs> I don't know about that last part. Um, I wish. I mean, I'll try and convince her for any office to run for, especially one that has public financing. But it was great to spend time with her again because uh, we have not spent as much time since the campaign. And then, I know. You know I worked with her on the bike bill that unfortunately didn't pass in the Oregon legislature. But, um, yeah, she's fun to work with and one fun. of the smartest people I know, especially on 
the subjects that she's the smartest on. And also a really entertaining guest. I was I was surprised with how much fun we had with her. Why? She's fun as shit. I, well, I, I think it is great to see someone, because, again, most policy wonks, and right. she knows that, they are more like, ma, 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 ma. And she can both wonk out, but then also have fun like a person. Yeah, take That's a step a back cool. and, like, yeah, and yeah. be real. I mean, she, uh, I learned so much from her on the campaign about, uh, like, people think that she's just, like, a transportation person. But, yeah. like, the way that transportation and the way that, and, and then I would have to message it, right? Yeah. You know, like, how transportation is not really about transportation. And even calling it transportation mm -hmm. ends up people saying you're like a, one of the bike bros or something mm -hmm. like that. Like so much of it is about housing and walkable neighborhoods. And mm -hmm. like, I remember we were at a uh, stupid burger for something and uh, she uh, explained to me on a napkin with a pen, what middle housing is and, uh, and why it like mattered and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this person is so fucking brilliant. Like, um, and would have been that's a how she mayor. you with a napkin and also <laughs> would have been a really good mayor. Honestly, not to say that we should, we should absolutely change, um, the form of government that we have in Portland, mm -hmm. but her specifically for the current form of government mm -hmm. that we have would have been really, really good. I think why, because she's such an expert on the things she's an expert on, knows what she's not an expert on, is good at delegating, mm -hmm. um, and is good at setting a forward-facing vision, which I think is often mm -hmm. what we've been missing from the city of Portland. That was what was missing from your mailer, Sarah Emerald, good at the current form of government. Well, <laughs> I don't know which mailer you received or which of the seven you received, but... Uh, I don't think I got any Sarah mailers. Well, good. That means the system worked. We had you down as a voter. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, we, I mean, we sent a lot of mail. We sent, we did TV. We did everything that you can possibly do. I don't look back on that race. I think I got some uh, some Sarah mail mailers that said, fuck Ted Wheeler on them. <laughs> Yeah, not a sailor, not a sailor mailer, uh, not a Sarah mailer. Sarah mailer, Sarah mailer, Sarah mailer. Sarah mailer, yeah, not a sailor a mailer. Um, but it was not, well, that was not a salamander. But, the, uh, but uh, yeah, those definitely did go out as well, including uh, through uh, all sorts of communications to really not sell the current um, mayor and who we were running against, but to knock her for some things that I think, you know, had she been a white male candidate, wouldn't have been... Running for president? What do you mean? Well, the things that Donald Trump said and then became president. Right. Yeah. Um, and But I think, you know, we look at that example... Well, and I look at that example of the right and say that there is something really missing of somebody who can resonate with their voters or who it feel, you know, it's the old additive, additive yeah. that people vote for who they want to grab a beer with. Right. Like, yeah. and, but you know, the left, not to say it's an equivalency, yeah. but like there is, you see on the left from AOC and others like yeah. this cooking in the kitchen while talking to yeah. people on Twitch, like that, you yeah. know, like that accessibility yeah. to elected officials is I think the future. Yeah. And like there are, Americans, many Americans who are on the middle on a lot of these cultural battles. Right. And there is this reality where the far right is 
kind of off the deep end where they think they can say literally anything on the books about anybody. Obama's a communist. Fair. Hillary yes. is a pedophile. All like, of that's you fair know. game. The pizza yeah. gate, that was... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hate it because it's fake news, but you just got to love that kind of absurdity. You're but like, they so <laughs> believe it. So believed it. And they don't believe in the vaccine, but they use horse yeah. pace. And then on the far left, where it's political correctness, you can't... Like anything that seems a fraction of an offense about somebody, you can get canceled. Well, here's you know? where I think, you know, and I, uh, you know, have outed myself on this podcast before as listening to right wing radio. Oh, you are outing yourself. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Sorry, Kat. That's because it happened yet. Uh, so, no, but uh, I do think there's um, a huge appetite for the anti-PC leftist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have not seen that person yet. We're I'm veering a little bit off of Sarah, but um, we have not seen that person. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. one of the huge things that I look at as a measure of this is how people are receptive to pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's people that automatically on the right, if you have pronouns in your bio, then you're a fucking communist or mm-hmm. something like that. And there's people on the left that are like, if you don't understand pronouns, you're a fascist, right? Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of people want to get it right, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. you know, like my Hopefully. mom, right? You know, like she doesn't necessarily understand they, them, right? Like, mm-hmm. but you know, if educated would love to have it right. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's helpful to scold those people when they have it wrong. I, I, I feel the same sometimes about, um, accessibility issues, whether it be, um, or specifically, uh, what's it called? Uh, photo descriptions. What are those called? Image descri- captions, not just captions, but when you post a photo, you're supposed to put is it what caption? the photo is. It's a caption. Chris, there's like, Alt text. Okay. Alt text. Thanks, producer. Oh, so, alts. so alt text, like and, and stuff like that. And it's like most people, I think, especially in the sphere that we live in in Portland, where most people are like quote unquote liberals, mm. want to get this stuff right. Mm. And then when they're instantly told you're a fucking fascist because you don't understand alt text or pronouns or something like mm-hmm. that, are like, okay, yeah, well, it's I'm like going you're somewhere an ist. else. It's whatever you can apply it to. You're an automatically an ist. Right. Yeah. And it's like, there can't be any other conceivable notion why there's an issue right now. It must be age? that you are the worst of the worst. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I, I remember the first time I heard of pronouns and I was probably late. Yeah. Um, it was like 2015. Right. So like, uh, like, yeah, I'm earlier than you. And I, I'll tell my story. <laughs> um, I was really lucky um, in a privileged but not privileged way coming to Portland at the age of 18, coming to Portland homeless. And I actually was thinking about it on my run this morning where my fake ex-wife, story for another time, I remember I first met my wife. No, she was my second (laughs) fake ex-wife. Okay. (laughs) Um, And I actually want to say even ex, she's still my fake wife and we're still, sorry, Greg, it's still happening. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I met her at the Portland Poetry Slam and she was just coming in after Slut Walk. And that I was 18, I was 19 at that time, and mm. that was my first time ever seeing someone like like basically skin clad, wearing dominatrix kind of. You didn't have thing. the internet. <laughs> in public, in okay. flesh, and I was looking at her like I was looking at an alien, and I loved the fact that I met her because same thing about I'll tell my story about pronouns, but she just was straight faced the entire time. I was like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "Slut walk." I'm like. Okay. She's like, yeah, I'm a slut. I'm like, you're a what? Like, I just didn't get it. And I was just mm-hmm. like, All right, what is going on here? And just, mm-hmm. she treated it like, okay, like, of course you're not going to get this. I, that's okay. And here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. She explained it to you? Yeah. And I remember when I was 18 years old, somebody who I still know, I'll just say <laughs> Jay as their name. 
literally, it was like my first night in Portland. Literally just got here, homeless. It was one of the other homeless youth. And I'm fortunate this person's still doing work in the houseless community. And I met them and they said to me, a group of other people, what are your pronouns? And you know what I did? What? I grabbed my junk. I was so confused. Yes, I grabbed my junk. <laughs> I had never heard what of before. What year is this? I was 2009. I was 18 years oh, old. Oh, shit. This is yeah. six years before I've heard of Yeah, I was pronouns. coming from the suburbs <laughs> in Virginia where they definitely talk about pronouns. So I was very confused <laughs> when I was asked my pronouns. So I literally just grabbed my, my, my penis and my balls. I cupped them, and I did it so people As could see does. it. As one does. As one does. And then I think the Fresh other Fresh off people, the slut walk, you were like, I know the answer. So long because a year later. I think the other two people rolled their eyes, but then they explained it to me. And I was like, you know, it was hard for me to understand. I have the weird, but, you know, not really privileged, but haha in this moment of being queer. So, like, I could understand that people were different. I could right. understand I need to show people respect because I'm different and I want people to show me respect. And also that you weren't losing anything by doing that, right? Yeah. And I think that there are people who feel, there's people on the right who feel like they're losing something because like it goes against their cultural like understanding and stuff. Yeah. But there are people in the middle or slightly left that feel like they're losing their ability to grow yeah. and their ability to learn because as soon as you mess up, you're gone. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not talking like this isn't like a cancel culture thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's literally like being scolded. Mm -hmm. It does not feel good to a human being, right? Like, yeah. and so like like I do think there's this huge appetite for someone who profess. Honestly, I think you know this is where we see Yang Gang come from a little <laughs> bit. Like, but there's or Joe Rogan followers. Like there Whoa. are just people who are not necessarily the far right, right, or even the right. Is Joe Rogan not the far right? No, not at all. Oh. Um, he, I would guess he voted for Joe Biden. Um, but there are oh. people in the... That's not one of the right-wing people that I listen to, but I know that there's, like, a lot of people who do. Um, I mean, probably... You know, like we'll never reach that those his numbers on podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's like the most listened to podcasts on all the platforms we're yeah. on. Um, but you know, of just like this, that's where most of America yeah. is at. And it's great that you say that because one of the things that I hate and Sarah got dinged for is this whole uh witch trial of platforming. And that's one of the things that I hate the most about the PC stuff, where even what did she being this, remember when she did the what's the guy, the radio host? Lars Larson? Yeah. Oh. So the idea of like you having a conversation with somebody who's that despicable, you've given them the platform, therefore you are that person, you mm -hmm. must be canceled. And like I know when I, you know, was on Tucker Carlson's show a couple of times, a lot of people were like, why would you do that? Why would you right. give him what, like he already has his show. He's literally gonna be talking about these issues anyways. Mm -hmm. I believe that I can prepare and represent and for me i can't enough. be a fucking activist i can't sit here and say i believe in these things and i can't talk to the actual anti antithesis of what i believe in if i can't stand my ground with that person how can i say that i believe strongly in this right well can you name the muslim banned countries god damn it <laughs> i'm talking about the second time i was on the show okay and again redemption i got a second chance and i kicked that ass yeah i mean so. and uh, a lot of American, I mean, like, obviously most Fox News viewers vote Republican, but it's not 
what people might think of like 95 percent mm-hmm. of fox news viewers like it's mm-hmm. closer to like probably 60 40 or 70 yeah. 30 or something like that but you that's know? how the cambridge analytica stuff happens if we just say avoid these radio hosts or whatever folks who watch these shows they're just going to be like okay see this is what america and is. and then we have no idea what the fuck they're doing and then yep. all of a sudden all the horse pace is sold out and oh we're like what the hell is going God. on and these people are rubbing horse paste in their fucking anus. And, like, it's like, you know, and we're like, what the hell has happened? We need and to find a professor who does, like, that alt fact stuff because we need to talk about some of this stuff. Horse paste? Horse paste? All of these conspiracies. Um, i something like people were gargling ammonia or something. Oh! Like, it's like, and it's just so funny that you're like, that made my I mouth don't burn. believe in the CDC. Fuck Dr. <laughs> Fauci. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do my own research where I ended up in this Facebook group that told me to take horse paste. And it's like, you really think you are avoiding the vaccine so bad that you're going to take horse paste okay. and like think this is this vast conspiracy that ivermectin or whatever is supposed to be the real treatment. Wow. Okay, well, anyways, I'm literally getting sick thinking about devouring ammonia and horse paste, so we got to change topics. Let's go back to Sarah. And one thing I want to say about you, Greg, is that I felt like you got really emotional this episode. What? Totally. Because one, you're not typically emotional, but like talking about all that you invested in that campaign, the hope that Sarah brought, I thought you almost cried. I definitely did not almost cry. <laughs> uh, I would know if I would almost cried because I would have cried on election night and I didn't cry on election night. So um, I almost cried on the first election night where Ted Wheeler almost got 50%. Mm-hmm. Not almost cried, but like was not happy. Um, but it, I mean, it is, you know, a, a year of almost two years of life, right? That was spent on one singular goal. Now that like I've graduated from one campaign to a whole bunch of campaigns like my soul has been split like the horcrux into seven or something you know but like it's not um sorry i'm re-watching harry or i'm watching harry potter you just for the first called time. yourself voldemort you gotta split your soul sometimes oh my and god so, <laughs> wow can only voldemort do that i don't know i'm still in the last movie i don't know <laughs> uh, I thought other people maybe could do that. So, but, you know, it, uh, like now it's a little easier. One loses, one wins, right? Is a little different than, <laughs> obviously you try and win them all, but so I hate political having hacks. 100% of your <laughs> life devoted to like one person's candidacy. And like, I don't think like gun to my head, I would have necessarily been like, and had to get it right, said Sarah's going to win. Mm-hmm. But I knew we were close, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we had the numbers to show we were close. Um, And, you know, we knew it was going to swing on these, like, undecided voters Mm -hmm. that remained undecided almost to the last minute. And it's impossible for us to decide what those voters are going to base their, Mm -hmm. what those last 15% of people that are still undecided Mm -hmm. are going to base their decision on, whether it's to write in somebody else, whether yeah. it's to, um, and by that I mean Jesus Christ or Mickey Mouse, um, or whether they're going to, or Donald Trump, mm-hmm. uh, or whether they're going to uh, not vote, or whether they're going to base their thoughts on things that Sarah you know, has said, or misogyny, or Ted Wheeler's name recognition, mm-hmm. or incumbency. It's hard to tell what those undecided voters were going to vote on, and at the end of the day, they didn't break our way enough. Mm-hmm. But I do think that that campaign was still groundbreaking in the in, you know, Sarah is and I think for a while will Mm. be the most successful publicly financed candidate Mm. in Portland's history. Um, Except for Amanda Fritz, who won. But, you know, (laughs) 
No, I mean monetarily. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and actually in votes also. I mean, Sarah mm-hmm. got more votes than Amanda Fritz did. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, Sarah got like 10 times as many votes as Pete Buttigieg ever got. Mm. Um, and so, Ooh. you know, like... Shots it, fired. Right. I was thinking about that on the way here. Um, it's like, maybe she should run for president. Um, so <laughs> the, uh, You're definitely going to get that out of qualifications. her. Um, so, well, there's no public financing. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's not like necessarily like emotional but i do think about how different my life would have been um but also when things come in the news even if they're you know out of the news cycle within a week Mm -hmm. i just automatically think how differently this would have been Mm -hmm. had sarah been mayor or how this would have been handled differently Mm -hmm. and i'm not gonna say like you know like this would have been utopia Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. sarah would have been mayor like or that homelessness Mm -hmm. would be eradicated but there are so many things that we see that i think anybody can agree that our mayor's office is often dysfunctional i mean you can Mm -hmm. see that even just in staff turnover um would be different Mm -hmm. and in my mind better and it sucks that we lost that opportunity and and the biggest opportunity i think is the forward vision of what we can be and be seen as by the rest of the country yeah and that's something that i've been talking about vision was literally i'm a two-term mayor (laughs) right yeah and and her vision was something of we can be a model for the rest of the country right and that's stuff that i was talking about before i had ever met sarah Mm -hmm. so like it it was huge to me and you know i also like you know like i i that she's so fucking talented and I don't yeah. think it's being wasted at the street trust, right? Like yeah. she's doing a great job at the street trust and that's a major organization that has existed for a long time. But you know, like it would be great to have her in a position of like real tangible power, which is the street trust. So I do want to hot take on one thing that happened in the interview. I was trying to give Sarah a big compliment and she totally did not take it. And I compared her to Bernie and I said, she's Portland's Bernie. I don't think that that's much of a reach. And she was like, well, you know, I got Klobuchar voters. I got Buttigieg voters, but we live in Portland. Portland leaned Bernie. Like that is the, the vibe that Portlanders have. And I do think, you know, the way that her campaign won, everything that y'all did literally remind me so much of Bernie. You're, you know, you're red, remind me of the DSA, you know, the grassroots, the small donations, the way that this plan is- We tried to sprinkle some more in there with the plans. Yeah, totally, but Bernie had plans too, you know? Yeah, but woman with the plan, you know, like we But do you think that's a reach to to think of her as like Portland's Bernie? I don't think that's a bad thing, right? Uh, So for one, uh, but I don't, I- I, Literally ran twice? I'm just saying. Yeah, I know, so but Bernie. I genuinely don't think she sees herself as that, right? Like, yeah. um, and maybe doesn't even see that as a compliment. Like, I think she's genuine in that. Um, and I think that's in part because... Yeah, and I'm not comparing it for, like, how Bernie was as a candidate. I'm really, like, the impact and the legacy of your candidacy. And that, I think, is a great point. Yeah. Um, you know, Bernie obviously ran for president twice, was not elected either time, and yeah. his... Um, ideas and what he talked about infiltrating the party platform I actually think has been you know Sarah's has been less adopted 
But, you know, Ted did take a lot of her ideas, yeah. at least during the campaign. Yeah. And a lot of the things we talked about, especially when it comes to campaign finance reform yeah. and stuff like that, are never issues that are like huge mayoral issues. Yeah. We were in part but forced to talk about that. Our because revolution, of Ted, street trust. Like, I do feel like everything that she's done, like, the election just happened. So, like, I do feel like there's going to be continued shockwaves of the positive impacts from the campaign. I hope so. Yeah. Um, and we'll see with this next wave of candidates for 22 and stuff yeah. like that, if there are people modeling that. Uh, one thing, you know, for sure that I think is just huge and great is the public financing mm -hmm. that we have in Portland. And if candidates are able to utilize that to the way that she was, I think we will see a shift mm -hmm. in Portland politics. I mean, we saw a lot of publicly financed mm -hmm. candidates. Nobody maxed out except for, I think, Carmen Rubio and I think that might be it. Um, Chloe, maybe, but mm -hmm. their races, oh, uh, city council races, mm -hmm. have a lower number than for mayor. Like, we're talking about, like, almost double. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but a lot uh, for Nick Fish's seat, there were, like, 19 candidates, uh, many of which used public financing, mm -hmm. and not many of them maxed out, you know? And so the model that she created and not having to go through the same structures that most mm. people have to go through to get elected. I hope that's replicated and we'll see in this next mm. cycle. Um, I don't think a candidate has emerged yet. That is that person, mm. uh, you know, Joanne is running again mm -hmm. and, and can utilize the system and, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I have to just say shout out to Sarah for also just talking so much about her life story. It was amazing just to learn all the adventures that she's had as you know, a young person and now to be just a, a fun adult who I can just tell is still living that zesty life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's all like politics, politics. I'm like, she's a person. Thank you, Sarah. You're always welcome back. So let's talk about the hot take. And I'm already getting stressed out with this shit. Newburg. Newburg, Newburg Oregon. Uh, mm -mm -mm. The real Voldemort of Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, has split itself into seven. No. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So I'll run through the series of things that have happened in Newburg that had a Newburg trending nationally. Holy um, shit. Yeah, nationally. Um, I've seen tons of national posts on this from Why? You know, people that I swim in. Well, people that I swim in. But and some people that are swimming. But the um uh so we started with the Newburg City Council, which there were competitive no, school board. School board, sorry. Yeah. Um there were competitive races on the school board. So one, I would mm -hmm. reiterate that, that like, black person that really matters, um, your school board votes. And we've seen it cut both ways. We saw a slate, it, you know, Raina Lopez, who was one of our former guests talked about a slate that they ran in the Salem Kaiser school board. That one of BIPOC candidates, you know, had that been the reverse would be way worse. And I think there's been places in like Eugene where we've seen more right wing candidates get elected to school board. School board really matters. And we've seen, weirdo videos from across the country of people in school boards talking about masks and stuff like that. But the school board votes to ban, you know, because of the first amendment, they have to say political flags and stuff like that. I think this could get challenged eventually. I mean, I used to teach street law in, in high school and I think this goes against a lot of cases. Um, Tinker v. Des Moines. And yeah, there is like, no way they can win that. I can't imagine. Yeah, to ban... For to, example, can they do the Blue Lives Matter flag? No, I don't 
think they can. So, so for okay. our listeners, they banned like all political stuff. So, like, okay. it was targeted at Black Lives Matter and Pride flags. Okay. Um, I, I think that would apply to Blue Lives Matter, but I think honestly, you know, I, I when I taught street law at Sandy High School. Um, I talked about free speech in schools, mm-hmm. which is a super interesting topic. I mean, because they wear a the sweater Vietnam that War. said Black Lives Matter. Um, no. Wow. Nothing related. What if they to have it. a tattoo that says Black Lives Matter? Because that's what I'm about to do. Whoa. Then it's part of your person. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, this is why the Supreme Court has decided some of the things that they've decided. Right. Like, but also, what if you had a Nazi tattoo? Should you be able to go to school? Not that the two are right. comparable, but right. I, that's how the Supreme Court and the Constitution looks at mm. things, right? Like, I'm not saying there's a, an equivalency there, Shit. but in terms of rights, mm. uh, there is an equivalency. Like, I'm sorry. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I think the first student, and maybe underdog law firm can find right? Mike the Fuller, first come yeah, on. Mike Fuller, find a student at Newburgh to sue over this. Uh, the person would have to be disciplined first and, you know, show personal injury. And I don't see how the school board wouldn't settle. Like, I feel this is a prime time for lawsuits. I would love to be involved. I might be. And these the are young kids. Kids this. love rebelling. Like, I can't imagine there not being, like, tons of legal cases coming out of this. Well, yeah. Um, and it could spring from any side, honestly. Yeah. Um, and they're going to deal with it from both sides. Yeah, well, it's funny because then you say you can't make political statements at school. Um, well, then we had. What happened a to Model snap- United Nations? Like, had, how is that going to work? We had a Snapchat slave auction that happened amongst students in Newburgh High School. Mm-mm-mm. And then the one that had us, the Newburgh, the most trending is a teacher showed up in blackface, which, like, this is not 1990s Justin Trudeau, like, or 80s or whatever. Like, you know what blackface is at this point. It's capitalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and this person shows up. In uh, blackface, they say dressed as Rosa Parks <laughs> to um, protest the vaccine mandate for teachers. That's what Rosa Parks did. <laughs> Can't they just go back to Jesus or something else? But like, why? Fun, but it's funny how you ban political speech and then show up in blackface to protest the vaccine <laughs> okay, mandate. Okay, I can see that's why that's national news. Okay, that makes sense. Was, the, was it together or was it just the blackface? No, it was just the blackface. Okay, see, if it was together, I'd be like, that is weird. So I want to go back to this slave, slave trade group, like fucking Black Mirror, and I want to read some of the, 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 the quotes that uh, a local uh, pamphlet media posted. So one student said, they can run, but they can't hide. $100 each, put the dollar sign after the 100. So, like, let's, let's talk yeah, about that. <laughs> Stay in school, kid. They like picking <laughs> cotton, which is an alt fact. So we, I've never picked cotton, and you cannot pay me to do that. I'll take them for 150 as the pair, another member of the group replied. And then someone else who definitely needs to stay in school, all blacks should die. Let's have another Holocaust. Literally different historical context. That is some teenagers, like... In our state. Right. Um, How many kids were in this group? I don't know the answer to that, but, I mean, are, so those kids need a talking to uh, and potentially, I mean, like, what, what, what is the right line here, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Come on, Mr. Devil's Advocate. <laughs> expulsion, um, and then you have to go to an alternative school. Mm-hmm. I mean, facts show that, like, if you go to an alternative school, I mean, chicken or the egg, but you're more likely to be put in the criminal justice mm-hmm. system. Um, 
you know, homeschooling, which mm. I'm not a mm. huge advocate for, but like the, uh, like what, what should happen to these kids? Like, and it's hard because like a black kid can't feel safe. They should be forced to pick cotton the, a for black a whole kid weekend. Can't feel safe. Where? Like, and know, that's we'll the thing with these dumbass kids. Like, this person can pick cotton. Where are you going to send them to pick cotton? Um, and it's funny how Put they were talking in terms of $150. Like, y'all really don't understand the value of anything yeah. in life because, I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but, I mean, like, inflation and stuff. Uh, right? Slaves would have been worth a lot more than $150. Yeah, they were a lot more. <laughs> like, what was that, $1,000 per slave back in the day? Back in the day. Yeah. I mean, now they need to go like, back to fucking school. <laughs> yeah, like, bro, y'all thought your allowance money was going to buy you a slave. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, what's the right punishment for these kids? Because when, I, I mean, I'll tell you, when I was uh, not in high school. By high school, I think mm-hmm. I was better, or at least not political. But in middle school, I went to an art school mm-hmm. where every like half my teachers were gay. Mm-hmm. Um, they taught us like evolution, like everything. Mm-hmm. I remember I got in trouble because I asked a teacher, my science teacher, if he was smarter than God, and he kicked me out um, when he was talking about uh, climate change. Um, and me and my friend, who uh, my friend, I'm sure Abel, you said worse things than that. My friend yeah. Abel, who is now um, out. And like, you know, we could, we knew, but the, <laughs> my friend, my friend Abel, who is now out, we were like, we are Republicans um, because everybody else was Democrats. And we were just like, we're going to do the other thing. You always like, even as a kid, I shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I should so, not be surprised. That it, is totally it's just so great. Funny now, Cause now he's like, like the most the out opposite. you can be. Yeah. And is like, and is like, obviously not a Republican yeah. and neither am I. And it, you know, like, and, so, like, when you're 14, one, your brain isn't fully developed, mm-hmm. obviously, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, but two, you are more susceptible to your peers. Yeah. You want to fit in. You say yeah. dumb shit. Yeah. And, like, people our well, age even say I'll, dumb I'll shit. I will say that you are, Repu- you are Democrat or liberal 80% of the time. The other 20%, you're devil's advocate where you're totally Republican, so... I think that, yeah, I mean, their concerns can't be not talked about. You don't have to become them. You don't have to become them. I'm not taking horse pace. That's the issue. You you literally become them. You could be like, what do you say to Republicans? You're just like, I'm going to be the Republican today. No, no, no. Most of the people that care about, like, or not care about, but are really like, Mm-hmm. Portland is fucking up on homelessness, et cetera, like yeah. this and that. They're not Republicans, yeah. right? They're so, Joe Biden voters, but they're yeah. like conservative yeah. as we would see it on yeah. a lot of issues. So here's my wheel of punishment for these kids. I would love there to be like a racist anonymous kind of thing. So like instead of de- detention, like actually like put them into like these peer circles that are mandatory long term. It can't just be like a oh do this for a month. But, like put them for the rest of the year. Like what if force- their parents are racist when they go home? I mean that's a systemic issue and yes we need to support that and maybe the school board needs to give some reparations or whatever but i think like the short term of like that actual documented offense i want to see restorative justice um and i want to give these one it has to be on the record because i think there needs to be an escalation of discipline if they do end up being more racist and it gets documented but i think for this if this is a first documented expense you know how can we get them through a like intervention outed? program? Like you think their names should be known to the school? No, I mean the school is documenting a- the discipline records. Oh, okay, but so there, if they I do something the again, as an angel's advocate, that like a black person should know if you're sitting next to the person who was selling you in a slave auction. I, I don't. You don't think that. so? No. 
Why? Because then they wouldn't be able to host Jeopardy. No, I just think. Uh, well, yeah, I don't. I'm I'm not a fan of call it culture. You'll never get me to defend it. But I think about what we do for pr- prisoners. I think like, what we if, defended it with Mike Richards or whatever his name is? No, that wasn't a call. I didn't think he should got. I don't think he should get canceled. He's not qualified. Yeah, it wasn't qualified for that one thing. So he should be producer. And I, I, I don't. And I think that's that's more complex, the whole producer thing. And I'm just completely the fifth because we don't have time to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't, I had a chance to think about it. My big issue, my big issue was him trying to swoop in and become the host other shit. Like I don't care. Um, well I, I don't care to talk about anyways, but same thing for prisoners. Like, do we want to tattoo everyone's committed a crime because they did that? No, I don't think that's well, fair we or the, right. We do do that for some crimes. For some crimes, exactly. But I think there is a differentiation. And for what this was, I can't put it on the deep end. This wasn't a physical thing. Cool. These are young people. Yeah. These are people who I believe are at an early stage in their life right. where a lot of cure is going to be better than punishment. Right. And I think, uh, I mean, there's two things that Mm -hmm. you touch on there is one, not only is the punishment fitting the crime, but, you know, we talk about this when we talk about jail and incarceration uh, and what Mike Schmidt Mm -hmm. was talking about, like when he was a prosecutor and the judge would be Mm -hmm. like, why? Why, why are you go, going to sentence mm. this person to this many days? What shows you that this would be successful? So I think not mm. only does the punishment fit the crime, but like also what is going to show that this is going to improve mm. this person's outlook or their impact on other people. Um, but aside from just like does the punishment fit the crime, it's also, you know... I, this is like kind of third rail, but scale mm-hmm. of the crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is bad. Yeah. Like this person is bad, but we've gotten to this place, especially on the left. And I think yeah. the right has then adopted it yeah. as a tactic of their own of like, it's like one strike and you're out. But not only that, uh, what's the right way to say this? Um, Al Franken is the same as Harvey Weinstein. Exactly, yes. And you exactly. know, it's not necessarily my place to say Al Franken's not the same as Harvey Weinstein, but mm. like isn't that like a little bit of common sense mm-hmm. that like or Bill Cosby, right? Like mm-hmm. Bill Cosby worse mm. than Harvey Wein or sorry, worse than Al Franken. I'm about to say uh, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Bill Cosby and what, Harvey Weinstein. Have you been counting be the number of victims? Like how do you know? Same bucket. <laughs> R. Kelly, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, yeah. they can all be in the same bucket. But like we got to a point where it was like any transgression is like yeah. the same as if you're Bill Cosby. Yeah. Is that where we want to yeah. be? Yeah. Maybe, and maybe Mike Richards right. is a good example. That's why I kind of like Heisman on that topic. Cause like Mike Richards is not even Al Franken, you know? Right. So, well, Al Franken might be running for Senate. So really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. These are complex things. And I definitely don't want to re- recreate the incarceration system from another political standpoint. Newberg is already up in some fuckity racist shit with their dynamics trying to cancel or expel these kids, how is it going to impact a school board that's already dealing with their own internalized racism? I don't think that that's going to help them steer towards a more reasonable direction. And would that make the kids less racist? Like, if anything, they're probably still in the group chat and might, like, double down. You know, like, the... Those damn blacks can't take a joke. The easiest solution to this, I think, is education and education on the harm that it caused Mm. and stuff like that. But, you know, some of these kids are going to, at the end of the day, still be racist and are going to, in 20 years, be racist and 40 years, be racist and raising racist kids. Like, 
that is America. Mm. Way to end it on an optimistic <laughs> note. I don't think that's America, and that's what I will say. No, I will we're progressive. We're, we're better than where we were. Moral arc of the universe, motherfucker. Yeah. This is not what America's going to be literally by 2050. I said we're gonna some outnumber. of those kids. So if the recidivism rate I know, but you said this is, is America. I don't think this is America. America is diversifying, and America, I do believe, is going to head in the just direction of justice. Right, as we saw in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this episode. Stay lovely, neighbors. Bye. You're such a bitch. <laughs> it's true. Episode 10 of Your Neighborhood Black Friends was brought to you by Kelly's Olympian on Southwest 4th in Washington. Learn more about Kelly's at kellysolympian.com. Financial support is also provided by Underdog Law Office. Learn more at underdoglawyer.com. Our music was by Donovan Breakwater. Our branding design is by Lindsay Hoft. This episode was recorded by Brian Wollen and mixed by Nalene Silva, and we are produced by me, Chris Walsmith. Thank you so much to this week's guest, Sarah Ayanaron. Thank you to our Patreon, and of course, thank you everyone out there for listening.